I want to start today by talking about what I think is one of the most difficult statements to hear in the English language. And I think that most difficult statement to hear is if somebody says to you that you are not qualified. Or if somebody says to you, you are not good enough. Or maybe you've heard the word, you're not hired. Or if somebody says to you, you don't have what it takes. See, all these little sentences of you're not qualified kind of invoke in us this feeling of rejection, kind of the idea of shame, kind of brings up a lot of insecurities, a lot of doubts, and a lot of pain. Because the problem with those sentences like you're not qualified is it's speaking to something's wrong with you that you don't qualify for a certain situation, that you don't get to be part of the qualified group. See, my guess is probably every person in this room has experienced that feeling of somebody looking at you and saying you're not qualified or you're not hired or you can't participate. See, the problem with not being qualified means that there's, there's something that you need to do to get qualified. Now, it could be something pretty simple, like maybe you're not qualified for a mortgage, but you need one piece of paper to prove residency, and that's something kind of easy to take care of. But maybe you applied for a job and they look at you and say you're not hired because, well, you don't have the education or you don't have the work experience. In that situation, there's nothing that you can quickly do to get qualified. You kind of look at the situation and say, well, I'm kind of out of luck. But see, what if the problem is actually deeper than a mortgage or deeper than your experience? What if the problem is you? What if the problem is that there is something wrong with you, that there is a flaw that you have? Perhaps it's something you did or you did in the past, or maybe it's something that you did not do. Whatever the reason, you're not included because, well, you don't measure up. You don't have what it takes to participate. If you feel like that, if you feel you're not qualified, wouldn't it be nice if there was a person that you could go to to share all those feelings of doubt and shame and disappointment that would listen to you without judgment and without ridicule. And in return, that person would not only listen to you, but it would take all your deficits and actually turn them into assets. That's kind of remarkable if a person could listen to all your problems and take what you told them and turn them into assets. Well, see, the Bible's clear that we have a person that can do that, and that is Jesus. Jesus is one person that can listen to all of your problems without giving you ridicule and turn your problems actually into assets. However, when most people think about having a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus, they often feel like they're not qualified to come to Jesus, that there is something so flawed in them that they don't have access to come to Jesus. Instead of feeling like they're welcomed by Jesus, they feel more like there is something that they're going to have to do to get on Jesus' good side. In fact, maybe they feel like Jesus, well, he's supposed to love them, but really he's just disappointed with them. A lot of people struggle with having the confidence to go to Jesus. But see, God in his wisdom and sovereignty knew that we would experience a lot of rejection and pain in his life. So he designated to Jesus to be that one person for us. But what if your people, what if some of you that are listening to me don't feel welcome to come to Jesus? Or you don't feel the invitation to come to Jesus. Maybe you do not feel like Jesus really cares for you. 
So we want to look at that today. See, a lot of times in our culture, we'll use the idiom, a person doesn't measure up. It's used to describe a person that's lacking in something. There's there's sometimes a significant gap between what you can do and what the expectation is for you to do. But what if I said to all of you that you don't measure up and you're not going to measure up? And what if I said that's actually really good news for all of you? That the gap in your life between what you are capable of doing and what's expected of you is going to work out to your advantage. See, as we journey to the cross together during the season of Lent, I want us to look at Jesus. I want to talk about the meaning and the significance of this Lent season of Easter and Good Friday. But during this Lent season, I want us to look at what is the heart of Jesus? What is the heart of Jesus really like? What motivates Jesus? I want to look at what is Jesus' heart towards each of you? I think that'll be significant for us to take this time to look at that. We often talk about what Jesus did, talk about his actions, but really what is motivating Jesus to do the things that he does? Because I believe if we have an accurate idea of what is really motivating Jesus, we're going to have a much greater experience and understanding of Lent and Good Friday and Easter. See, we just entered Lent. I love Lent. I love taking 40 days to really concentrate on, on, focus, and on our sins and maybe behavior patterns that we're involved in and repenting. To take a 40 days and to get right with God and to say, God, show me any sins in my life or show me any areas in my life where I'm a little bit off track. I love the prayer of David in Psalm 51 where he says, God, help me to even have the desire to be obedient. That might be where some of you are at during this Lent season. But I like taking this 40 days to really focus on repentance. I think Susie said it really well in our Wednesday night service. She said, you know, when's, repentance is supposed to be part of the normal daily Christian life. But sometimes we neglect that. Sometimes we forget about that part. So God in his wisdom decided, well, let's put it on the early church father's heart that they would actually write it into the church calendar. So maybe at least once a year you would take the time out of your schedule and say, let's focus on repentance. And as we do it for the 40 days, hopefully it will turn into a practice that you sustain through the rest of the year. So during this 40 days, it's something that we are doing to practice to do the rest of the year. It's not just do it 40 days and forget about it and move on with your life, but it's something that we're going to continue throughout the year. And I've been excited uh, for Lake Effect Church because together as a church, we're taking time to read this devotional by Paul David Tripp, and many of you guys got the book from me, and you've been participating in the scripture journaling. And it's interesting, the number of people who have said to me, thank you, I'm excited to participate in Lent this year. I didn't expect that. I haven't heard that in the other years. But there seems to be a genuine interest that people are saying, yeah, I really need this Lent season. I really need this devotional. I really need to participate in the scripture journaling because my life feels a little bit off track. And I really want God to move in my life during this month to get me on track. We all know the last year's been crazy. And I think it's great that we have this time together to focus on really let's make sure we're right and we're in the right place that we want to be. But I often have one little concern with Lent. See, sometimes if people have a skewed view of Jesus and repentance and acceptance, 
They often think Lent is the time of the year that we participate in repentance to make God like us, to make Jesus like us. Kind of like we've been naughty the whole year and suddenly we got a Lent and if we do really good, then Jesus is going to like us. That's not how you do Lent. That's not the purpose of Lent. So if we're going to do Lent properly, I think we need to understand, go back to what was Jesus really like? What motivated Jesus? And to do that, I want to ask the question today and answer the question, what makes us qualified to come to Jesus? How can we come to Jesus as individuals? See, I want to make sure that we understand this question because when we do understand why we're called qualified to come before Jesus, it's going to change our life in a dramatic way. I don't want us to think that we participate in Lent to make God like us or to make Jesus like us. That's the wrong order. Oftentimes in church culture, we sometimes think that repentance leads to God's kindness. Some people think if I repent and I do good, then Jesus and God are going to be nicer to me. That's the wrong order of things. Remember what Paul said in Romans 2 verse 4. He said, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? See, the kindness of God is to lead you to repentance, not your repentance to make God kind to you. See, kindness is the motivator. That's what God wants us to experience in these 40 days is kindness. Guilt and shame and condemnation, those are good motivators but only for a very short period of time. Nobody can sustain repentance if it's brought on by guilt and condemnation. Maybe for a day or two, but not long term. Some of you that were raised in guilt-based homes, you know that. You know guilt and condemnation can work, but after a while, it doesn't work. And it leads to apathy. So it's important that we understand the kindness of God that's going to lead us to repentance. Because at the heart of it, Repentance is a gift of God. Repentance is a gift that God gives us out of his kindness. I want to focus on three verses in my message today, just three little verses from Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Let me read it to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are three very powerful little verses in the midst of the book of Matthew. I want us to talk about these verses today and really unpack what they mean. Because in the middle of these three verses, Jesus opens up and he says something about his very own heart. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus shows us a lot about himself in that one little statement. See, Dane Ortland in his recent book, he, he references to a study that Charles Spurgeon did. And Charles Spurgeon says, if you look at the 89 chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is only one place where Jesus talks about his heart. And that's this verse 11 here where Jesus says, my heart is gentle and lowly. 
Just one verse in all the Gospels where Jesus decides to let you see what is his heart like. There's a lot of different words that Jesus could have used to describe his heart, but he picked those two words. Why did he do that? I mean, we know that all through the Gospels, there's different I am statements that Jesus talks about himself. But the one place he describes his heart, he says, I'm gentle and I'm lowly. So what does that really mean? See, before we talk about Jesus' heart, I think we need to talk about what, is, what does that mean when he says, this is, this is my heart? We know Jesus is not talking about his physical heart, and he's not talking about his emotions. Instead, Jesus is talking about his determination. He's talking about what motivates him. Dane Ortland says, well, well, this way, he says, our heart is what defines us and directs us. So Jesus is saying, my gentleness defines me and it directs everything that I do. See, I think for some of us, we have to think, okay, what defines me and what directs my motivations? See, some of you might be, maybe, maybe it's sports. Sports kind of defines me. It directs all of my activities. I love sports, like to participate in sports, like to do sports, like to think sports, I like to watch sports. Everything in your life might be revolved around sports. For some of you, it could be about your career. Your career motivates you. That's what you think about when you get up in the morning, and that's what you charge forward with. For some of you, it might be, maybe it's, maybe it is Jesus, and your life is revolved and centered around Jesus. But when Jesus says that he is gentle and lowly heart, he's telling us what defines him and what drives him and what motivates every single thing that he does. So why does he say gentle and lowly? I'll tell you, I was hoping that I could look up gentle and lowly and find some very interesting Greek studies on these two words. There's not a plethora of information to make Greek and lowly really jump out of the pages. See, that word uh, gentle is used three times throughout the New Testament. And in the different times, it's, it's used to mean gentle or meek. And when it talks about meek, it's not talking about soft or, 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 or weak. Instead, it's talking about a person with unlimited power and resources at their disposal, but they're going to use them with great restraint and precision. So Jesus is giving this idea that he's gentle but he's meek as well but then he talks about that he's lowly a lot of translations instead of saying lowly which i don't think we ever use that word in our vernacular it's another word for humble but this word isn't talking so much about the humility of jesus as it's talking about how jesus transformed after his experience of life on earth lowly is what happened to jesus over time so it's interesting that we have these two words, and honestly, to say gentle and lowly doesn't give you that much of a, oh, yeah, I see what that means now. You're kind of like, I don't really get what that really means. The way you really understand those two words to describe Jesus' heart is to understand the two verses around them. Because when those two words intersect with the action of Jesus around these words, you see that gentle and lowly means that Jesus is accessible. That's what Jesus is showing us in this verse, is that he is motivated by making sure that he is accessible to all people. That's Jesus' drive, and that's his determination. 
We saw that last week in my message about when Jesus went into the temple and flipped the tables of the money changers and the people selling pigeons, that he was making a way for anybody to have access to him. That is Jesus' drive and determination is that each one of you are qualified to come to him. That is what motivates him. I love this paragraph by Scott Sauls in his recent book, A Gentle Answer. I want to read this because I think this helps us understand this heart and motivation of Jesus. He says, indeed, one of the most remarkable things about Jesus is his affection for and gentleness toward not the righteous, but the sinners, not the healthy, but the sick, not those who have their act together, but those who are falling apart. Not those who are clean, but those who are damaged and dirty. This man welcomes sinners, the scribes and the Pharisee charge, and he eats with them. To the accusations of offering a gentle answer to sinners, Jesus was and is guilty as charge. When Jesus encountered people who recognized their own spiritual bankruptcy, he did not shame or belittle them, though he had every right to do so. Instead, he had a way of making them feel like the most significant, esteemed, and beloved people in the world. That's Jesus' heart towards you. That's Jesus' heart towards sinners. That he had a way of making them feel like the most significant and esteemed, beloved people in the world. That was Jesus' posture towards sinner sinners but in matthew 11 verse 28 it does list one criteria that you need to have in order to have access to jesus it's not one thing that you have to do it's one thing that you have to have See, if you don't think you're qualified to come to Jesus or if you think like you need to do a bunch of things to, meet, to make Jesus happy with you to respond to you, then Matthew eleven twenty eight is a very good verse for you to remember because Jesus says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. See, Jesus makes this invitation to come to him, but he makes it to a very specific group of people. What is the distinguishing aspect of this group of people? It's the people who carry a burden. It's people who have a need. See, in other words, if you want access to Jesus, you need to have a burden or you need to have a need. See, if you have a burden, you can come to Christ. If you have a need, you can come to Christ. You can have access to him. So you notice this verse doesn't say, come to me, all of you who are really repentant and really sorry for your sins, and you've transformed your life. It doesn't say that. It says, come to me if you have a need. That's the accessibility of Jesus saying, come to me if you have a need. See, it says, come to me, all of you that are having a really hard time. Or maybe you're having a very difficult time with life. See, there's just one thing that you need to have to have fellowship with Jesus, and that's a need or a burden. We see what Jesus is doing in this verse. He's backing up what he said, that he is gentle and lowly in heart, because he's coming for all people and saying, you have access to me. It's important that we see that Jesus didn't require the requirement was not you had to get all cleaned up first. Repentance is important. We're going to talk about that later. 
But it's a remarkable verse where you see the heart of Jesus towards people. And it's pretty significant because oftentimes you see in our own culture, sometimes when you have a great need, you're told you're not qualified. Look at it when you apply for a mortgage. If you have a really great need to borrow money, sometimes they say you're disqualified because you have too great of a need. Or maybe you want a car loan and you apply for a car loan and they say, well, sorry, you, can, you, you have too great of a need. You're disqualified. And so what sometimes in our culture, when we have a really big need, we try to pretend that we don't have as big of a need because we don't want somebody to say to us, well, you're not qualified. But see, if you go to Jesus, it doesn't matter the size of your burden or the size of your need. He welcomes all people. There's no pre no prerequisite or behavior to come to Jesus. It's simply that you have a need. And that's pretty powerful considering the group of people that Jesus was addressing that day. Jesus was addressing a lot of people that were raised in the Jewish culture. And they had been under the burden of trying to fulfill the Old Testament law. And they knew that was hard and difficult. In addition to that, they're trying to keep up with the standards that the scribes and the Pharisees were placing on them. And that was difficult. And then in the verse 28 where it says that people were labored and that they're heavy laden. Labor means that they were working long, long hours. And the work that they were doing to supply for the family was overwhelming. It was too much. And heavy laden refers to just the hard and difficult things that happen in life to us. It might be sickness. It might be loss. It might be sadness. It's just referring to all these different things that happen to people along life's journey. And Jesus is speaking to people these four basic needs and saying, come to me with all those needs. See, his invitation was that if you come to him, then you will find rest from the burdens that you're carrying. The rest that God is talking about is not you get to sleep or you get to go on vacation. Instead, the rest that he's talking about is only the peace that God can give that passes all of your understanding. And that was his invitation to come to him with your heavy burdens, to experience the peace that only God can provide. So the big question is, if Jesus wants my burdens, how do I give them to him? Because I think most people feel like, well, I've given Jesus my burdens, or I tried to give my burdens, and it kind of seems like he gives them right back. Or I don't feel like I actually make much progress in my life. I feel like I'm in the same place over and over again. And see, this is where repentance comes in. This is where it's good to understand repentance because repentance gives us the rest that Jesus offered. See, repentance is another way of just simply submitting to Jesus leading your life. And so every time that we find a sin in our life and we repent for it, we're acknowledging that we've been off track and we're asking Jesus to lead us and we're surrendering our control of a situation. But I think Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 is going to give us a really good understanding of how we give our burdens to Jesus. See, a lot of times when we talk about burdens, we're just waiting for God to take our burden and to get rid of it completely. And now that would be nice if every time we had an obstacle or burden or difficulty, we prayed and boom, it went away. But I think we know from experience a lot of times that doesn't happen. And this is what Jesus wants us to know in Matthew eleven twenty nine, where he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I think many of you know what a yoke is. 
A yoke was the, the device that they used to tie two animals together, and then the animals would be attached to a cart or a plow or some kind of farm implement. And the yoke was used to keep two animals together so they could be under the control of the master who would use the force of two animals together maybe to plow a field or to pull a cart. And there's three important things I think that we can learn from this metaphor that will help us give our burdens to Jesus so we can walk in the rest that he has for us. See, the first thing that this metaphor teaches us is that we are inadequate. See, the yoke was designed for two animals together because the one animal could not do the work alone, and so you had to have two animals together to actually do the work that was required. And the first lesson that Jesus is teaching here is he's saying to you, you can't do it on your own. The burdens that you are carrying, you are not built to pull those. You are not created to handle those. Jesus is saying clearly in this illustration, you can't do it on your own. And often when we feel like we can't do it on our own, we try harder. We try to do things to compensate. But Jesus comes on the scene and he clearly says that you're not going to be able to do it, so you need to get in a yoke with me. And this is actually a very beautiful part of this verse. Because Jesus is giving us the permission to embrace the fact that we are inadequate. Jesus is giving us the permission to recognize that we don't measure up. Not that our brokenness becomes our identity, but that we begin to understand that our lack of ability is not so much of a deficit, but it turns out to be one of our greatest assets. Because our lack of ability draws the attention of Jesus towards us and he helps us to get in the yoke with him. See, your burden is actually what draws Jesus' attention to you. Your lack of ability to carry a burden on your own is actually one of the greatest assets that you can have. And that's counterintuitive because we like to think, I can handle any difficulty that's coming my way. I can handle any issue that I'm dealing with. I can handle any, any problem that I have. I can deal with it on my own. And Jesus says in the illustration, no, you can't. Embrace the fact that you are inadequate and embrace the fact that Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 11, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Jesus says, if you're mourning, I'm right there to comfort you. But listen to what the psalm says in Psalm 34, 18. It says, Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. So what David's saying right there is the Lord is close to people that are carrying a heavy burden that can't do it on their own. See, oftentimes when we get in a situation and our burden seems too much, we feel like God is so far from me. Where is he? But look what David said. When you have a heavy burden, when you're brokenhearted, God's close to you. Your deficit or your inadequacy actually draws Jesus so close to you. But sometimes we don't understand it or feel it because we're so busy carrying our burden on our own. And that's why Jesus is saying, give me your burden. And you can come into that close relationship with Jesus as he uses the illustration of a yoke. See, the yoke teaches us that Jesus is adequate. 
See, this is something good to know. Sometimes we look at that yoke with those two animals in there and we think, oh, those animals are exactly the same, same ability, and they're just working together 50-50. But usually one animal in that yoke is actually more experienced and is more stronger. Usually one animal in that yoke is a better ear to listen to the master telling him what to do. And the other animal that's in the yoke is just kind of learning. It would be kind of like the disciple or the apprentice of the stronger animal in the yoke. And that's what the picture that Jesus wants us to see, is that he is the strong one in the yoke, and he is carrying the load, and he is listening to the master's instructions to know what to do, and he's just guiding you along. You're both together pulling the burden, but really it's Jesus that's pulling the burden. You really don't know exactly where you're going. But Jesus is the one that's listening to the master, knowing what direction to go. And that's the picture they want us to see in this metaphor, is that Jesus is adequate. You might be inadequate, but Jesus is adequate to be the lead in the yoke with you. And see, when the two work together, the weak one and the strong one, you see a lot is accomplished. And one of the things that Jesus wants to do as accomplish is to give you rest. That's why in Matthew eleven twenty eight it talks about rest. But the rest that Jesus is offering is rejuvenation from trying to carry that load on your own. That's the first thing that Jesus wants to give you rest from. All those years that you tried so hard to do it on your own. All those years you tried to overcompensate. And Jesus says, you know what? We're going to take care of that. I'm going to rejuvenate you from all those years on your own. And then in Matthew 29, Jesus talks about rest for your soul. And that is that rest that comes in that's that never-ending peace of knowing you are in a deep relationship to God and that He loves you and that He cares for you and He makes a relationship with Him accessible. See, Jesus wasn't trying to give you this illustration of, yeah, see that big yoke? Yep, put that on you. Try to carry that around town. Uh-uh. Jesus is trying to see, look, I'm going to wear that heavy yoke on me. You just slide in there and just follow my lead. I'll do the main work. And see, that's what the third thing is that that yoke teaches us. That with Jesus, we measure up. See, on our own, we don't measure up. We have deficits. We are unqualified. We don't measure up to the standard, the biblical standard or the society standard. We don't measure up. But Jesus gives us this metaphor to see when you come in the yoke with him, suddenly you measure up. And that's the radical invitation that Jesus is giving into this verse. He extends this invitation to every single person saying, come to me. Come to me with your burdens. Come to me what's bothering you, hurting you. Come to me with what brings you shame, what brings you discomfort, what brings you anger. Why is Jesus so intent on getting your burdens? Because quite often, it's your burden is what's leading you to sin. Sometimes you can find the sin that you're doing and you'll trace it back to the burden that you're carrying all on your own. And Jesus is saying, give me that burden as well. He wants your repentance, but he wants your burden as well. 
See, sometimes people come to season of Lent and you're like, all right, I guess I'll do this over again. I guess I'll repent for the sins. But you get a little tired because sometimes people, you feel like you're on a loop. It's like every year it's the same sins I put on my paper. Every year it's the same obstacle that I'm talking to Jesus about, help take this away from me, I repent. And then you find yourself the next year, it's the same thing again. It's easy to look at Lent season and get cynical. Some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, I, I, I can list off my sins, but I might as well put them on a piece of paper because the next year I'll get them out because I'm going to have the same ones again. I admire you for continuing to go and repent for your sins year after year, but I think sometimes we need to pause and say, Jesus, show me the burden that I'm carrying on my own as well. Because Jesus wants to take that load from you as well. He doesn't want you carrying that on your own. He wants to take that from you. He wants to give you the rest that you need so you have the endurance, so that you have the rejuvenation, so that you can experience the peace that passes all understanding. That's my goal as we go into Lent this year, that we receive the gracious gift of repentance and that we use repentance to say, God, show me the places in my life where I'm off track, but God, also show me the places in my life where I'm trying to carry the load. Show me the places where I'm trying to pull the burden all by myself. Show me the places, God, where you are really close to me and I don't sense it because I'm, off, I'm operating out of guilt and shame and condemnation. So let's do this Lent season. Not just repenting of our sins. Yeah, let's do that. But let's say, God, show me my burdens. Show me what I'm trying to carry on my own. Because see, the beautiful thing about repentance is that it puts God back at the center of your life instead of you and I being at the center trying to figure out how to take care of everything. And that's why God's given us this gracious gift of repentance so that he can get back to the place of being the center of our life, so that he becomes what motivates us and what directs us. See, the Bible wants us to love God, but the Bible also wants us to love other people. And it's really hard to love other people when you're the center of your world. And I said last week, I, I do think that there's going to be some revival and some renewal that is going to come to our country. And it's going to come to West Michigan. And I'm praying for that. I hope it's very soon. But normally before you see a revival come to a city or state, you often starts with renewal in a church. And I think God is stirring us up in our church and other life-giving churches in the area to make sure that God is at our center. To make sure that we are repenting of our sins and this becomes part of our normal Christian life. But also to make sure that God's the one carrying our burdens for us. And we're not trying to do everything on our own. Because when we get things right in that order, then suddenly we love God and we love other people. And that's how we're going to see renewal come to our city is by us loving other people as Christ intended us to do it. 
So I thank you all for participating in Lent and taking this serious and with the devotional book and the scripture reading and the scripture journaling to say, God, help me to put you at the center of my life. That's the scope of Lent. That Jesus is at the center where he's supposed to be. And then we experience the rest that we all desperately need. I want to close the service a unique way. I want Libby's going to come forward. Jake and Libby had planned to do the song, um, The Blessing, which if you've been here before when they do that song, it's like the greatest song you've ever listened to. I don't want us to stand and participate in it unless you really want to, but instead let's stay in our seats, or if you're at home, don't turn me off yet, and let Libby sing that song and Jake play with her to bless you and to encourage you. But also after that song, I'm going to take two minutes and we're just, after she's done singing, just pause and Jake can play the guitar. But I want us to take two minutes to say, God, show me any burdens that I'm carrying on my own. Or maybe show me areas in my life that I'm off track. Because I know sometimes when we close the service, we say, okay, go home and do it. But then we're all thinking, where am I going to have lunch? And we forget about it. So let's pause. This is such a beautiful song and this wasn't planned in advance. So... We'll see how it goes. But let Libby and Jake sing the song and just let the song wash over you with this benediction. And then we're going to pause for two minutes. And again, don't turn me off at home yet. Let's just take two minutes to say, God, is there anything you want to say to me today? Let's see what he has to do. Thank you.
his favor be upon you and a thousand generations in your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations in your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations in your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he is with you he is with you Oh!
favor be upon you and a thousand generations in your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he's with you he's with you in the morning in the evening in your coming and your going in your weeping and rejoicing he is for you he is for you he is for you he is for you Thank you, Jake and Libby. And thank you, Jesus, that you are accessible and that you draw us in and that you are close to the brokenhearted. We thank you that you are a good father and a good shepherd. We thank you for the prompting of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in each of us and what you're doing with us together as a community. And we say thank you. Thank you that your favor does rest on us. So God, I thank you for this group of people that's listening today. And those that are part of our Lake of Family that maybe were not able to join us today. That you would indeed bless them. That you would shine your face upon them. And that you would lift up your countenance and give them peace. Lord, would you give us the peace and the rest that we need? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.